Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Football and I podcast with me, your host Owen Dowling. This episode is dedicated to all the teachers who told me I'd never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. And all the homies in the struggle. Just kidding, I'm from Cheshire and me and all my friends went to Russell Group Universities. If you've listened before, you know the drill by now. If you've not, then welcome aboard. Please keep your arms inside the ride at all times and enjoy as we take a journey through our guests' personal footballing history from their first games to their favourite football films or TV shows. As Donald Trump once said, make football discourse great again, although he would later be advised to change this to a snappier tagline so he could fit it on tiny little red hats. If you've listened to the first two episodes of this podcast, you might kind of get the structure by now. Um, So we'll start with a bit of an introduction bit, then this bit's usually kind of the silly bit, the fun bit, before we get into the actual interview. Um, But before we do that, I just wanted to kind of break down some of the numbers from the first two episodes. I thought that might be quite interesting to do. And a pretty cool thing about Anchor, which is the website I use to host the podcast, is you can see all the different demographics of the listeners. So for example, I can see that 20% of our listeners are from Ireland. Shout out to the Catholic anti-contraception teachings for that one. I also saw there was a few people listening to the podcast on Valentine's Day. Uh, If you are one of those people, I'm so, so sorry, and I sincerely hope you're okay. Um, So thanks to these numbers, I've been able to identify who's listening and kind of which groups I need to target more. So, for example, I've noticed that less than 1% of our listeners are in Australia. Only 20% of our listeners are female, and a shocking 0% are aged 0 to 17. Um, So throughout this episode, I'll try and subtly appeal to those user groups without pandering too much or losing the thematic tone of the podcast, uh, because I don't want to come across preachy or patronising. Um, anyway, that's the boring bit, the silly bit. Um, don't just hate it when you and your girlies are watching your favourite TikToker, Charlie D'Amelio, on your iPad, and your mum comes in and says, put your iPad down, Dad's putting another shrimp on the barbie. Like, ugh, leave me alone, mum. Parents, am I right? This week's guest was Ben Bradley. He's a great friend of mine from university, and I'll introduce him a bit more in the podcast if you don't know who he is. If you do know who he is, then you'll know that Ben is a part of the LGBTQ plus community. He's openly bisexual, and he talks very candidly about this in the episode in relation to how, if at all, that's impacted his footballing journey. He speaks from a very personal and honest place, and I'd just like to disclaim that Ben nor I want you to think that he's speaking on behalf of the community as a whole when he talks about his experiences. This is a wonderful episode. Ben has a really great answer for the team to defeat an alien invasion, and he has a lovely, positive, unpopular opinion. The audio in mine is a bit messed up, so I hope you can bear with and enjoy this episode three of the Football and I podcast. Ladies and gents, I'm joined today by one of my closest pals from uni. He's an exceptionally smart physiotherapist. He's an amateur cricket player. He's a Sunday league centre-half, and unfortunately for him, he's also a massive Man United fan, but we won't hold that against him. Ben Bradley, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Big fan of the show. Delighted to be here. Oh, lovely. We want to hear that positive feedback. Um, how have you been? How was your week? How was your uh, Valentine's uh, weekend, Sunday? Yeah, no. Yeah, great Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> that was everything I hoped it would be. What did you get uh, up to? I watched a disappointing draw at West Brom, oh, no. which I was just hoping that Sam Allardyce gets his pint of wine, pours it over himself and gets back to the championship where he belongs. What else did I do? Uh, not a lot. I was actually much more uh, happy to have Pancake Day yesterday. That was that was yeah. the big event this week that I was looking forward to rather than Valentine's Day. I saw your pancakes. They were pretty decent, to be fair. I didn't even make myself any. I put some uh, chocolate spread on a tortilla um, and ate that, and it was really sad. Um, but... It was quite nice, so, you know. Not quite the same, is it? <laughs> uh, so, a mate of mine put out that he has sugar and lemon, classic, mm-hmm. chucks in raisins with it. Yeah, that's not okay. No. That's, um, no. you want to be checking his hard drive for suspicious activity based oh, off that, that is worrying. 
chocolate chips or something I can see, but raisins. No. There's there's a VAR check. Certified <laughs> nonce there, absolutely. Possible offside, definitely possible offside. And that is rogue. Someone at work told me they put, instead of lemon, they put orange uh, juice on it. And I was like, orange squash? Like, just pour an orange squash on a pancake. But obviously they, they meant like drops of orange, like squeeze fresh orange, which is still gross. But yeah, you hear some interesting combinations. I talked to Aiden last week about being a student during lockdown. I talked to Rahul Loop before that about just lockdown in general. You, like me, work for the NHS, you're a physio. How's your lockdown been still working? Because for me, that's one of the things I've loved about it is still being able to go to work um, and, uh, you know, have that routine of going into work every day. And I feel quite fortunate to have that. Have you enjoyed that or, or how's it been for you? Yeah, I mean, certainly having that ability to to go into work and just, like you say, have a bit of normality. Um, you know, I, I have quite a lot of um, quite a lot of Zoom calls at weekends and things like that with mum and dad and things like that. And for them, it is very challenging with quite a completely different scenario. A lot of them doing sort of working from home, and actually, mm. I almost see sometimes for their point of view, the highlight of the weekend is the, you know, the highlight of the week is having a Zoom call. Whereas I know. You know, you're probably the same. Sometimes you get to the weekend, and the last thing you want to do is have a, have a <laughs> yeah. Zoom call, not another Zoom chatted, call, chatted from work and things like that. But I've actually been redeployed, so you know, doing something very different to my usual work as well, which is uh, you know different challenges. I've enjoyed where I've been. Where I've been, the other team that I've been re- redeployed to are, are a great team, so that's been enjoyable. So I mm. say something different, something a little bit new. It, it, like I say, it keeps a bit of normality going, which I think is is like I say not a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. People are gonna, um, our mates, gonna take the piss out of us here. For talking about physio because it's very on brand so uh, let's oh, move absolutely. off it move off it quickly um have you had your vaccine for your first dose i did indeed have my first dose a few few weeks ago um nice. or probably about mid, mid-january actually now so yeah nice. uh, i got the second one i think middle of march or something like that so yeah um, i've got mine too then too excited. i'm excited for that because i just want to flex on everybody that i'm uh, well, hopefully immune, and that they aren't. So, be nice. Um, but the reason I brought it up just literally before we were about to record, I saw this uh, video referencing an article, which I then went and read about a guy who I think he was 32 years old, no comorbidities, no health concerns or anything, um, and he got called to get his vaccine like, on the high priority list. And he was like really confused because, like I said, he's got no health concerns or anything. So I didn't read the whole article because I'm an idiot. I just kind of read the headline. But basically, what I can understand from the situation is he. he rang him up and he was like why have I been um called to to get it as a high priority I've got nothing wrong with me and basically they said it's because his BMI was so high and he's like not overweight at all and basically what happened was because your GP will have a record of your weight and your height and so this guy's six foot two but when you record height on BMI it's in centimeters right so whoever's recorded his BMI is putting 6.2 the height and then put his normal weight in. So his BMI has come out at something like 28,000. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think Liam Thorpe, I want to say, was the name. Is that his name? I'm pretty sure that's the name. I'm pretty sure I saw this going around Twitter. Oh, well. God, yeah. so funny. It's not like so much the thought of the mistake is funny. It's just the idea of a 6.2 centimetre man is really funny to me. I mean, the idea of a guy with a BMI of 28,000, that is quite phenomenal oh like a really obese borrower or something just imagining <laughs> someone that height is funny anyway 
we can laugh about vaccines all day. This is, like I said earlier, a football podcast. So we need to get down to talking about football. Like I mentioned in your intro, you've played Sunday League for quite a while. And I don't know anybody who's actually... I played football as a kid, but never Sunday League. Is it exactly like the memes are where you've got like the left back's the shittest player, the fattest lad in goal. You've got two fast guys up front and then one guy who had trials for Chesterfield when he was like 15. Is that how it is? <laughs> At times it can be. Uh, I'd, I'd say certainly at times you play on some absolute mud heaps that yeah. you just think. I, I think actually our last game that we actually played was on a pitch where any other day that like, I don't even understand how we played. We rocked up and we're like, well, we're obviously not playing. Mm. We did like the most measly 10 minute warm up, which was like, as soon as the ref gets here, he's calling it off. Yeah. Ref rocked up, pulled on the net a little bit and said, right, let's get going. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I mean, you play on some 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 absolute quagmires. I love it. I, I really do. I think you know, growing up, played all sort of yeah junior stuff, going through, just loved playing it really. And mm. and certainly had a bit of a period, you know, under 18s. We were playing in like an academy league, um, right. my local club, Ampton Town. Big up, um, big up, shout out. We played in the academy league, so playing like Luton Town Cedars, so like the Luton Town Academy, okay. That's probably as as good as. As good as it ever got. I mean, we got dicked by five in both games. I mean, you know, but going on to play professional football, that's yeah. so fair. I mean, still, you're that's the closest we've had to anybody being a professional footballer on the podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, you are, you'll be our, our go-to for any football knowledge we need. Um, Setting the standards high. Yeah, exactly. high bar. So, yeah, certainly then after that, playing lots of Sunday league back. And then at uni, obviously, we played together in... Uh, or played together, I think, once in a yeah. game for a Supra. Use that term very, very loosely. That's like uh, an extra in a film saying, like, oh, I was in a film with uh, Brad Pitt once. Like, oh, you shared like one scene with him where you walked past in the background. Yeah, it was, um, well, I guess some backstory. Um, Supra was our, we both did physio at, at Nottingham. Um, and Supra was the society of um, physio and sports rehab. So shared uh, society between the two courses. And it was a football team. And like I said, you were, you played like every single match, right? Yeah, near enough. I, I yeah. played all three years because there was only a few of us in, in our year that actually played in the first year. True. I, I played in goal that year because I was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my first year times of putting on classic student first year weight. Mm. Uh, led to me being the big fat goal. So, um, yeah, that was fun. There you go. Um, but yeah, and then I played one game. I'd like to defend myself here. I did always put myself forward, but the problem was the games were played on a Saturday and everyone would go out on a Friday. Well, <laughs> I had very bad hangovers. You'd go out on a Friday and then it would come to Saturday. I remember one time, went out on Friday night and then it came to on Saturday and I got a message saying like a call up thing in squad like would you want to play tonight and I actually thought I'd broken my hip on Friday night and I was like no I can't I just physically can't play but anyway I did play once against uh, computer sciences know exactly who it was it was computer, computer sciences. sciences do you know the school it was, six, it was six blokes with glasses on and that's the only <laughs> reason you were able to play I'm pretty sure yeah they were very on brand for their uh, for their course but yeah. kept a clean sheet and I think it was a big win, like five or six nil. Yeah, pretty sure it's quite a big one. Yeah, there you go. Couldn't have done it without me. Absolute maestro. Anyway, uh, I said in the intro as well. Massive Man United fan. Trying to hold that against you. We're a very impartial podcast. Um, any amateur Poirots or Miss Marples watching and listening might have noticed you're not from Manchester from your accent. And when I was growing up as a kid, if you were a Man United fan regardless of where you were from you were a glory hunter you must have had that growing up and what is the actual story of you supporting United because I honestly don't know yeah uh, def definitely having the, the glory hunter tag I think where, you know, where I'm from 
Uh, I was born in Luton, so Bedfordshire was where I was from. I suppose that the two now big teams, uh, or the you know, two big teams for that area, probably Luton and Watford. And I suppose my, my story for, for supporting United is, yeah, certainly at that young age, you just you just looking, you know, watching games with your your dad, and you just. I remember watching. <laughs> my brother always tells a funny story of watching um, like final score on a Saturday, yeah. and I'd just celebrate any team that was winning. <laughs> just like, yeah, just there you go. And even when they then they'd then start losing, and I'd start supporting the opposite the opposite team from the same game. It's just like, no, nah, no, nah, I've always been a massive massive Derby County fan. Um, so. I think the first time I actually properly started supporting United, though, was actually in a loss. So I, it ever so slightly undermines the glory hunt. Oh, okay. The uh, 05 FA Cup final against Arsenal. Um, ah, right. Okay. I think that was where I first set my stall out and said, right, okay, enough of this jumping around. You've got to pick a team. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, you know, I was, yeah, a bit of a glory hunter and at that time, I suppose. I'll, I'll hold my hands up. Certainly, I am the, the classic Manchester United fan from an hour north of London. That is definitely my niche but I, I suppose yeah I got got very lucky that then I, I got to support a team that went through you know through that period you know, I'll never forget that 07-08 season you had Ronaldo Rooney and Tevez running as a front three and just absolutely tearing apart teams mm-hmm. and, and just destroying teams with pace and just wonderful attacking football so yeah I, I, I've been so what that would be 16 years I've been a, been a United mm-hmm. fan now mm-hmm. had the ups and downs so yeah You've been through it. I think the people who complain about glory hunters are the same people who complain about about, um, immigrants. It's like, if there was no glory hunters and if football fans could only be from the certain area they were from, then Man United would be a little tiny club in Manchester with like no money or finances or resources. The Premier League would be a dreadful league to watch. Because it's like, the reason that uh, the Premier League has been able to flourish as it has is because of uh, fans who, who who support teams in which a place they're not from, foreign fans, um, fans like yourself yeah, who aren't from the place. So, yeah, uh, it's a stupid... Well, yeah, and, you know, even far apart, you know, you look at the, the branding and things like that in you know, United, a massive out in, in Far East Asia. Yeah. Uh, and so are, so are many other teams, you know, Chelsea, obviously Leicester have the, the Malaysian connection. So, so yeah, certainly uh, from all around, you don't have to be local to support your, your own team. And also, I mean, no offence to a lot of Luton fans, I know from home, but I'm not going to support Luton. <laughs> no, if, you, if you've got the chance, you may as well, you may as well not follow. If I've got the chance, I'm not going to support Luton. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go to, um, oh crap, I've forgotten the name of the ground. Uh, I'm not going to go to Kenilworth Road. I'm, there we I'm go. not going to walk through the estates. I'm not going to walk through the houses to get through the OA. I'm not going to edit that uh, hesitation there where you forgot the name. I'm going to keep that in so everyone knows you're a fake, uh, fake Luton. Um, anyway, our, our friendship has not been ruined by our love of rival teams and this is what I'm going to talk about now. A story I'm going to tell is a night that I can laugh at now in retrospect, uh, but at the, t- at the time it was pretty awful. You must remember this, the, the 2018 Champions League final from uh, the Carriers final, as some might call it. What, what are your... Um, do you remember that night at all? Do you have any lasting memories? Or I've I've got some excellent memories of that night. I uh, yeah. So we were in we were in Knotts. Uh, we were in Osbar, I believe it was. Uh, shout out, shout out to Osbar. Uh, the bars are available. And it was it's got a great bar for for sports. I think they did like discounted drinks for uni students and mm. discounted food. I was, I was, so I, I think you and Dave, uh, one of our other mates, had been there for for quite a while actually. Because I think I was playing cricket during the day. 
And I rocked up late just in time for the Champions League final start. But wasn't that the year they did? Did they do like the Europa League final, or they did like a championship? There was, it there was, was the there was playoff. Like it was uh, yeah. Fulham versus Villa in the playoffs. And I think Fulham might have won. Yeah, that year Fulham won. Or did Villa win? No, because I remember finding it dead funny that John Terry was there, upset. So I think Fulham must have won. Did Fulham win? I have no recollection. I wasn't there. Who cares? It's the championship. It's just... Anyway, yeah, we watched it before, and then you joined us. Yeah, and um, you were already, I think. You, you and our other mate were already a fair few points down, gearing up for yeah, you, you know your biggest night as a Liverpool fan for years. You'd, you'd have to say, um, long time, yeah. And I'll, I'll just never forget that Gareth Bale overhead kick. Mm. The entire bar. I mean, because to be fair, the bar was was pretty. The bar was rammed, but it was probably a, a, an even split. There's probably a, a fair few Liverpool fans in there, but quite a few other sort of just you know, neutrals and uh, maybe a bit of slight inkling towards Madrid. Yeah, I think um, if you were a neutral, you were supporting Madrid. Um, <laughs> as it tends to be with Liverpool not the most sought after club yeah that is I mean people have had worse individual performances than that than Carriers did that night obviously we've even seen the some of the season yeah the stage I think if you were to graph out the quality of the performance and the, the stage and the stakes that is for me the worst performance of all time obviously contextualising it with the stage and what was at stake and, and the timings of things. Because um, Liverpool, you know, could have, could have held on and, and taken to penalties or something. I don't think they looked like scoring, but they were playing well. Um, yeah, it, was, it was certainly was 1-0, wasn't it, with all yeah. that bail overhead kick? And to um, be fair to you, as a, as, a, uh, as a non-selfish bloke that you are, I do recall you having a mild applause for that Gareth Bale overhead yeah. kick at the time. Your your face was stunned, but, but stunned into absolute shock and me and Dave just our other mate we just we just lost it we were <laughs> on the floor I think it was a great goal um, but anyway so after that I was so annoyed I just left I think I left a couple of minutes before time um, and I went to go meet Rahul who was on the first episode and his his girlfriend uh, for some more drinks which was obviously a good idea when I was annoyed thanks Loris Carrius I blame everything on this that happened in this night on, on Loris Carrius <laughs> he owes me emotional and financial uh, repayment so I went off there and then I came back and you and Dave were still in the same place we had a couple more drinks and then that place closed and then somebody had the bright idea we we're going to go out like on a night out to a nightclub so we did that and then after that, I really don't remember much until someone suggests. Was it, who suggested the casino? I, I don't think it was me. Okay. I don't think it was me. <laughs> we'll blame uh, we'll blame Dave for that one or other friend. And so when when someone says casino, it invokes images of like uh, like a Martin Scorsese film or an Ocean's film. You know, like really classy. Yeah, Everyone's absolutely. in like tuxedos and like fucking George Clooney sat in the corner sipping like uh, Di Serrano. Um, whereas in reality, a casino in in Britain is just they just attract like reprobates like us clearly um, just the absolute wrongins and it's they're just the saddest places in the world at 2.30 in the morning yeah. um, and I remember walking in there I think when we walked in we were the only people in there and they were all staring at us we looked like some like scouts trip that had got lost and, like <laughs> wandered into a casino and yeah it was just us for a while and then this like saddo came in and he sat down at the uh, the blackjack table with two women who just didn't seem interested in, in him at all. I imagine they were they were paid women to put it like that. And I blame 
the film Rain Man on what happened next. I blame, blame the whole night on the film Rain Man and Loris Carius because I'd watched the film Rain Man a couple of weeks before and um, it, it's Dustin Hoffman and, and Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, if you've not seen Rain Man, is plays an autistic guy and they go to Las Vegas and he counts cards and he wins them loads of money. And I thought in my um, intoxicated state, I could count cards and I remember that guy sat you were what were you doing what were you playing I was probably playing roulette on the machines yeah. rather than in real life because playing that's, it that's safe a real me vibe playing it safe um, and yeah I saw the guy with the two girls who went into him sat down at the roulette table and I thought well, I could probably do that um, not realising the incredible uh, like mental arithmetic that you have to do to actually count cards and I just remember just sitting down at that table and I played like three hands and I went bust on every single one <laughs> I'd, I'd be like 18 or 17 and then in my head I was like pretending to do all this like mental arithmetic <laughs> having a rain man moment where the numbers are like going around in my head whereas obviously I had no idea what was going on um, and I wouldn't have had sober really but the alcohol just made it worse and yeah I just lost like three hands in a row yeah and that ruined me and then waking up the next morning it was that triple whammy of being hungover obviously remembering that Liverpool lost in embarrassing circumstances and the financial ruin of of that night I feel, you, know, you know in uh, Tiger King when Joe Exotic uh, I think like a lion bites somebody's arm off and he goes I'm never going to financially recover from this <laughs> that's what it felt like but yeah I blame Loris Carius and what's his name Dustin Hoffman for that but yeah that's just it's a great story I have to tell about our uh, that would probably be a great night for you because Liverpool lost it would be if I hadn't also joined you in the uh, brackets of financial ruin that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that plagued us that evening that is true Word, words of advice never never drink in relation to football always goes badly even if you're celebrating or if you're drowning your sorrows always goes badly lovely anyway one of the reasons I asked you on this week Ben um, other than you being a great friend of mine and uh, a really interesting person to listen to and talk to was to exploit your sexuality <laughs> for, for listens um, it, the idea of this podcast or one of the ideas of it is to talk to people who talk to people who are from different backgrounds than I'm from uh, in regards to their gender or ethnicity or their sexuality um, so we can discuss the shared interest of football and see how those different experiences have have um, shaped our experiences with it if at all really and when I approached you on Friday about coming on we kind of had a bit of a discussion about it and without taking the words out of your mouth what what you essentially said to me was that being a football fan and I forgot to mention there you are openly a a bisexual guy what you said to me essentially was that those two things just kind of coexist separately from each other and that they don't really kind of intertwine in a way that affects either one do you want just talking about that briefly yeah I'd, I'd say absolutely um I think for me personally, if I if I had to ask you know my friends, the people that know me, to describe me in a, in a sentence or to describe me in, in five words or, or whatever, you know, I, I think actually I'd probably be quite quite disappointed if they did mention my sexuality. I, I, for me personally, and I, I you know say it's definitely this is something that's personal to me, and for other people it, it is a big part of who they are. But actually, mm-hmm. my sexuality, I don't view it as a big part of of who I am. Mm-hmm. So. For me, I'd say that actually, yeah, the, the two, and I suppose it's it's the how it would work in an ideal situation. You know, for me, it, it doesn't really matter too much, uh, yeah. and shouldn't matter too much. Yeah, it's that thing about shouldn't matter. Of if you were saying to me, 
like, oh, I'm a bisexual football fan. I'd be like, right, that's weird. <laughs> like, I would never go to somebody and say, uh, I'm a, I'm a straight football fan. And it's, it's that, you know, if, if you are really proud of that aspect and, and of that, those two aspects of your lives coexisting, then that's great. But like you said, it shouldn't even be something that's brought up because it shouldn't, it's not like those two things can't coexist. Um, no, and I think, and as you say, it's, if someone is, uh, you know, it's, it's the same way, vice versa. If someone is very proud of, of their sexuality, and it's not saying that, you know, I'm not proud of, of my sexuality at all. Mm-hmm. I think, like I say, it's that personal thing to you that it doesn't define you in terms of, you know, your behaviors and how you act. But actually, you know, for some people, it is a, it's something that they do want to share with people. For other people, it's a very, you know, introverted thing about them. I, you know, and it's the same in, I think with, with straight, some people are, are very open about their them being quite straight and, you know, talk mm-hmm. lots about, you know, girls and getting with girls and things like that. But then for some people, actually talking about relationships isn't something that, that they do. Neither one are, this, uh, are worse or better than the other. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's this, the same thing for me. It's not that I'm not proud of being you know, bisexual, but actually that for me, it's it's not something I view as being needed to be you know being necessary to be proud of one thing i wanted to just see if you're happy to touch on briefly was um coming out specifically to your mates because i've met some of your mates the great guys very similar to my mates from home and, and a lot of our mutual friends and um, from university and that like, big group of lads all in the same stuff sports football cricket whatever it may be instead of video games whatever like going down the pub having a couple of drinks you know banter the jokes the laughs whatever taking the piss out of each other just talk us through that kind of your thought process at that time of how you felt it was going to be perceived um and kind of your decision to do that if that's okay yeah yeah no absolutely um I think certainly, you know, there were nerves um, around that. How old were you? Sorry, just interrupt. Uh, I was 16, 17. Okay. So, yeah, definitely, definitely there were nerves. But I think there were certainly, you know, a few things. And again, coming back to that point, this is very person-specific to to myself. You know, I felt actually I wasn't, you know, I I certainly don't feel like I fit into the uh, stereotypical, you know, know, overtly camp, uh, flamboyant, flaming uh, gay man or anything like that at all. Mm. Not, and again, not to say that that's that's a problem, but I, I, I do wonder if perhaps that did have an impact on perhaps making that easier for me. Point. You know, yeah. Was it a bit easier that as someone who acted relatively straight, you know, did that have an impact? Uh, you know, difficult to say. But I think, again, it comes back to that point that, as I say, you know, because it's not something that's a big part of me in the sense that it's something that I go around and, and sort of, you know, I'm really flamboyant and open about that. I would say I felt it certainly was perhaps a bit easier because of that. You know, I'd known this, this group of guys, like I say, for, for quite a while. Um, and to them, again, it's that, it's that point of if they had to describe me in five words, you know, sexuality wouldn't be one of them. And, and again, yeah. I think that, that's certainly something that, that helps with that. You know, you actually, it never was a big part, you know, before I, I came out to them, me being straight wasn't a big part of, of who I was to them. Mm. Um, being, you know, Ben, oh, our straight football friend, <laughs> or our straight, you know, our yeah. straight mate that we play cards with in the uh, in the common room. Yeah. You know, it, it was never like that in the first place. So, yeah, that that's certainly helped. It was actually at a house party. Okay. Um, yeah, so alcohol probably helped those nerves. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think I was quite... I was, you know, nervous at the time, but actually, once you, once you say, as you say, it's not a big deal. And actually, again, I, I think the point is that I wouldn't be friends with this group of people if I actually did think that they harboured, yeah. you know, homophobic thoughts or, or you know, you know, and actually 
were quite you know quite set against you know different sexualities mm-hmm. you know actually why, you know why would anyone want to hang around with people who have such you know such beliefs um exactly. so certainly the fact that you know it didn't change that i was a friend um and had been friends with them for, for years so actually i don't feel like it changed too much um and certainly you know as you say that the jokes the the, the, the banter the, the the taking the piss out of people you know i've i'm yet to hear a, a funny or original gay joke that's made me actually <laughs> laugh most of yeah. them are are based off of a lot of the same naff imagery that that really yeah, like I say, I'm yet to start to laugh. So if anyone's got any real good, <laughs> funny gay jokes that they think are are excellent, send them in. Um, yeah, let us know in the comments. Um, yeah, I like that. I, it's that thing of when your friends are taking the piss out of you about it. Because I think young men, young lads, uh, are sort of age 16 to like 23, get a lot of criticism for not being able to like show emotion or deal with things, emotional uh, things in a sensible or intelligent or mature way and get accused of lacking uh, some emotional uh, intelligence or maturity. But that kind of thing of making jokes about it and making light of it, as long as you're okay with it, that's, some, that's some people's way of, of not dealing with things but of just talking about it, and maybe yeah, they don't. Really. Maybe they don't know what to say. Maybe they're like really awkward and like, oh, I don't know what to say when my mate comes out to me. But if you make light of it, and if that person's okay with you making light of it, um, it's like when people kind of you see comedians sometimes joke about personal tragedies that have happened to them. It's almost a way of like dealing with it. And yeah, I think in some ways you could accuse that of being emotionally immature, but also in other ways that's just a person's way of processing that thing. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think. You know, I again, you know, very personal to to me is, is that I I do think that I can can take a joke. You know, I, and you know, our group I certainly would get. I think you know, with some of the the jokes and the like, I say some of the banter would get thrown around. Would say, oh, you know, immature or whatever. But actually, you know, I in in sixth form I had I had those glasses, and for reasons unbeknownst to me, when I got them. I, I got those tinted glasses. So like oh, yeah. when I was out in the sun, they'd go, go dark and yeah. sunglasses, you know, you, the sort of glasses your nan has it. <laughs> um, all in one, you know, the problem with them is that you walk from outside and walk into a room and they take like five minutes to go dark. So then you're walking around inside. So I, you know, I was called Stevie wonder for a good few years as well. So, you know, you get used to, to getting the piss taken out of you. And as I say, I, I yeah, again, me personally, I've, I've never, taken too much offense to to those kind of jokes because again it, it comes back to that idea that it, it, it's trying to to you know have that laugh have that joke maybe break some sort of ice and tension maybe mm-hmm. if there is there any there. but actually they're not saying these jokes out of harm or spite again it's, it's that context of it but actually again if i thought you would you know if you told me a a, a joke that had you know maybe a questionable punchline or um, something to do with my sexuality you know i wouldn't think that that was you having you know att- attacking me or or being homophobic towards me because mm-hmm. again it's it's that point of if you were that way inclined i wouldn't talk to you i wouldn't hang out with you i wouldn't yeah. You know, so that idea that you know you can have a, a bit of a joke and a laugh about these things, I think certainly is is true. Yeah. Can I ask you this? And I might cut this out because I had not planned to ask this. Um, mm-hmm. But as we were speaking, just it reminded me of it. I watched a really good documentary documentary series. It's on. I think it's through Vice originally, but it's on uh, like four OD. It's called Slut Ever. Um, and it's really good. And I can't it's remember what sorry slut ever. Wow, yeah, it's really fucking good. Um, 
Is it a Channel like, 5 series? <laughs> it's Channel 4, but it's on Vice. And the host, I can't remember her name. She's so good. She's brilliant. Anyway, there's an episode about bi men, right? Um, because it's seen as some kind of some sort of like unicorn, like unbelievable thing in the LGBT community, or at least I could gather from this episode that bi men actually exist. And that's something I know that for a fact that you've kind of not taken the pit, people have taken the piss out of you for, but kind of always say like, oh no, you're, you're just really gay aren't you like by is just like an excuse is that something you've had actual experience of and is, is there truth to that that in the lgbt world from a, your personal uh, experience that, that seems to be like a really rare thing yeah i mean i, I wouldn't say it's it's rare I, i'd say certainly the idea that you know oh you you must have a percentage that's the one that always gets kind of thrown around yeah the, oh you, you, are you 50 50 are you 90 10 you know 65 40 65 35 you know I think that that's certainly something that gets gets thrown about with uh, with bisexual uh, bisexual men is that oh it, it's just a phase you, you you're going to end up in five years time saying oh no actually I was completely gay and again I, I think it's that point that you know it's individual for for everyone and actually it's certainly the way I've started to view it over the last few years is perhaps almost operating on a little bit of a spectrum that actually mm-hmm. sometimes it does move from from one side to the other for for a bit of time but. Again, I, it, it's it's my sexuality. I get to define my sexuality. So, yeah, other people don't get to define you know, mm. my sexuality. So, I, again, it, it's something that is the source of a of a lot of jokes that are again majority of which just have no comedic punchline <laughs> at all. So, I, I certainly don't mind that at all. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, offensive jokes. Just to kind of completely ignore part of what you said there for a second. People like Jimmy Carr, like. I, I, offensive jokes can be funny, but the, the key part is that they have to actually be funny. They can't, it's not funny just because they're offensive. That has to be a good punchline. Yeah, and I imagine all the jokes you get are just completely unoriginal shit and variations yeah, based, yeah, based off the same yeah. stereotypes. Just to quickly go back to that point there, it, from the documentary, it was the kind of the idea that if you're a bisexual woman, that's like an accepted thing that, mm. you know, I would, oh, okay, she's just bi. Um, whereas like a bi guy, it's like, oh, he has to be gay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's certainly, you know, in a male-dominated world, you, you know, there's almost that lech-like sort of, you know, fascination of a girl who's going to kiss girls and then kiss guys. And it's like, oh, it's a bit risque and naughty. I, I, I don't know quite where this, this attitude comes from, uh, you, you know, certainly from men and the things that we do very badly. Whereas, yeah, like you say, the other way, it, it, it's not so perhaps intriguing for, for a man to kiss the same, the same yeah. gender. Yeah. Anyway, I imagine there's a lot of um, middle-aged men <laughs> listening to this podcast who suddenly got very confused thinking they're listening to some uh, podcast about sexuality. So let me just bring it around, back around to football for a bit. Um, BBC Three documentary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, this is great. Uh, it's very interesting and eye-opening. Racism in football over the past couple of weeks, certainly, we've seen like, highlighted massively with players like uh, Martial, and, oh, I can't remember the centre-half's name for United. What's Don his name? Tonsabi. Getting racist abuse online, it being highlighted loads. Um and really there seems to have been quite a lot done I'm not sure how successful it is but quite a lot done to to try and work against racism in football recently over the past 6 to 12 months whereas homophobia in football whilst it's definitely come a long way um, and I'll talk about that in a second um, it seems like almost accepted as gross as that may sound in the way that like if you were on a football terrace and somebody 
blurted out a racial slur and you'd be like what the fuck like did somebody actually just say that and then if somebody blurted out a slur related to someone's sexuality i feel like nobody would would almost bat an eyelid uh, my question is really have you ever been on the receive of receiving end of any uh, homophobic abuse relating to football and if you've not then you must have heard stuff because you know i've heard stuff and how does that make you feel as um, a, a bisexual guy I, I think i think certainly for me personally i'd say quite lucky i don't recall much of anything uh being directly directed at me I, I would have to say i think listening to what you and aiden talked about last week actually on the podcast about the 90 minute bigot i think mm. again yeah massively applies in this this scenario i think you know there's a there's a point around this where actually is what this and I, i'm going to phrase this in a, in a couple of ways and you'll have to let me get to the argument because you might yeah. you might jump in but there's a point about saying well is what they're saying actually homophobic so, for example, you know, if someone's done a bad pass on a football field, mm. you, you know, I've seen it, you know, you know a couple, you know, someone, people who have no idea of, of the other player's sexuality or sexual mm. orientation, and they'll say, oh, oh, that pass was gay or whatever, or, you know, and yeah. it's that, that kind of comment of, oh, you know, get up, you big Jesse, and, you know, mm. things like that. And you think, well, they don't know that person's sexuality. So it's not as if they are directing definitive abuse at them it's that difference in terms of as you're saying sort of with racism we can very easily distinguish people's different races actually yeah. we don't we can't we can very easily go under the radar in terms of people of different sexualities but then you, you think about that a little bit more and you say well actually they what they are saying is homophobic because they're they're coming from that mindset of to be gay is to be worse and i think there's something in that that is you know something that we've uh, I, I, I grew up at school and and Certainly, you know, the comment of, oh, that's so gay, mm -hmm. you, you know, was thrown out. And not, I think there's a mentality of that or an ignorance of that that was, again, not quite accepted, but it, it wasn't, I think, in a more educated world that we are perhaps now, you know, 10 years down the line. 10 years ago, you'd say, oh, you know, someone, you know, did something wrong, you know, someone did something badly. It was that, you know, gay was synonymous with the lesser with worse yeah. with something wrong but not in the sense that it was wrong to to be gay it was just mm. that it was you know you, or you, you you've done something bad and I, and I wonder you know how do you change that mentality of someone who's who's perhaps had that 10 years of of growing up with saying oh I'm not saying it because he's gay or mm. you know, I have no idea what sexuality mm. is or, or she is or they are you know it's I'm just saying it because in my mind being gay is is an appropriate use of the word to say you know, you've done something lesser or worse yeah. or bad so you know I think there's certainly a point on that I, you know I, again I don't think I've ever received anything you know that I would constitute as abuse again you know I, I don't think it's something that I I, I consider myself very very lucky and again I, I come back to that point is that because actually I'm quite straight acting mm. uh, you know actually you wouldn't probably tell if I if I'm you know, I'm reliably informed after a few drinks. You can tell my sexuality. <laughs> I didn't want to mention um, that. Dancing in a in a nightclub at three a.m. Sometimes I think my hips give it away. But um, you know, actually on the football field and, and in real life, people can't really tell. And, and does that help? You know, would they? Would I have experienced more if I was more overtly camp and overtly flamboyant? Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, I suppose in the in the perfect world it's the overtly camp flamboyant those, those as we were talking about earlier that, that are you know very open and proud of their sexuality in the sense mm. that they're very forward with it you know they would you know in an ideal world be able to walk down the street you know perhaps as i do and and go 
under the radar because it's not an issue because it's yeah. not a big thing. And that, that he talked about the, the talked about at the start there the, the problem of of homophobia in football. And like I said, how do you resolve that issue of people growing up saying something and, and not knowing it was wrong? And it's trying to educate them further down the line. But the further down the line you get, the more reinforced the ideas get in your own head, and then the harder it is to break those patterns. Um, which obviously is why problems like systemic racism and uh, or, or anything that becomes systemic are so hard to break because they're just these reinforced patterns that are passed down from generations mm. but uh, talking about trying to break those patterns the Premier League seems to be trying to do a lot over the past five or so years um, around homophobia and football um, they've launched loads of campaigns and things as someone who is integrated into football without their sexuality playing in, playing a role in it what do you think of those uh, kind of programs to try and uh, entice more um, LGBT fans into football and make it more inclusive does it feel like an empty gesture or patronising or, or what do you think of them yeah I, I wouldn't say empty or, or patronising you know I, I think the Rainbow Laces campaign does does do a lot of good and I, I think you know there's almost that kind of subtlety under the radar nature about it you know I, I know plenty of people that, that own Rainbow Laces you see them every now and then on the Sunday league pitch couple of guys in my team wear wear them and not that we've ever even discussed anything like that at all but you know it's almost that kind of subtle just it's here get on with it crack on I I think you know you fall perhaps a little bit down the rabbit hole of you know you were talking earlier about the the issues very much highlighted in the last few weeks with with racism and, and social media and actually you know is there almost a point that by constantly going on about the abuse that players suffer by constantly highlighting it is that mm-hmm. actually feeding into what some of the, the the people perpetrating this abuse want they just they're, they're just these you know social media trolls these attention seekers who actually you know do want that abuse and actually we're we're stopping they just want that attention sorry and, and we're just kind of stopping that that progression by constantly mm-hmm. highlighting it but then you've got the other train of thought that says well no actually we need to continue to to highlight actually the to show to people who think that racism isn't a big problem in this country when you know quite clearly there are very major issues around race in this country mm-hmm. uh and actually do they do we need to continue to raise the profile and actually say yeah you know people say oh i'm getting sick of, of taking the knee and whatever well it, it's clearly we need to be still showing that actually racism is still going on in this country we're not mm-hmm. stamping it out we're not doing enough and i think certainly there's a there's those two lines of thought with with homophobia in football and, and how do we stamp it out you know i said i, I think the rainbow laces campaign does a lot of good and, and certainly that kind of subtlety to it perhaps helps with it but actually it do we go down the route of just continually highlighting and raising it as an issue until it isn't it, you know it, it's probably actually not not a great question for me to answer as someone as you say right at the start who has integrated very easily without the need for that and i, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably my what I'd, I'd I'd end that that answer on is that actually you'll probably struggle to find a inclusivity program, a support program that does encapsulate the entire spectrum of LGBTQ plus and create an environment that is that where everyone feels that it is their game because it's so personal for for everyone and everyone will want mm-hmm. their their own different different parts of that. I think, like I say, it would be very hard to create something like that i think but i don't think it's it's empty or, or i certainly don't find it patronizing no 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 not at all that's a great fucking answer by the way i think the bit about subtlety is is interesting because i think that's it's a good route to go down it's maybe not as effective as something that's loud and, and out there but yeah that subtlety is nice because i think then it feels to people who are for some reason offended by those sorts of things to them it's something they can kind of accept that's a great and, fucking and answer 
and that it's that it's all around them as well. That actually, yeah. you know, if you if you are you know Sunday League player who does have have homophobic uh, ideologies, you go out onto a football field and actually you, you look down, you're marking it, you're standing at a corner, and you look down and actually you see you know three sets of rainbow laces around you, and you actually oh, okay, well there's there's lots here, you know, oh, yeah. right, I'm going to go play on a different field, okay, right, and then on that field there's again perhaps someone else wearing the rainbow laces on that pitch. You know, you might go you know six or seven games without seeing it, but again it'll pop up again somewhere, and I, I think. For me, there's a, a niceness to that subtlety that actually we're here, we're just getting on, we're we're still playing the game. Yeah. You you wouldn't know actually if, unless we weren't wearing these these laces. Yeah, that's lovely. The final bit I just want to mention on this all before we get into the actual questions, because we've been talking forever, but I just feel like this is too good of a chat to maybe cut any of it, and it's going to be a fucking long episode. Yeah, <laughs> each, sorry, everyone. each week I get people who complain about uh, the length of the episodes, but fuck them, it's I, too good. It's too I good. I complained about the first one being 45 minutes. <laughs> I think we've been recording for over 45 minutes already, we've not even got to a fucking question. <laughs> Well, right. Anyway, um, on Monday, uh, it's funny how these things kind of work. I was doing some research uh, for the podcast because surprisingly, I do actually do research for these. and I write a bit of a script and I got a notification from The Athletic. Do you know The Athletic, like the news? Um, it's like a subscription based uh, okay. sports news site, which I subscribe to because I'm a loser. Um, and also because it, I think it's got the best sports journalism around. But it was an article about um, Justin Fashionu. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, first uh, first gay footballer. Yes, gay footballer. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, for everybody who doesn't know who's listening, um, he was a really exciting player in the late seventies, uh, early eighties with Norwich. He was he was actually the first one million pound black player uh, when he signed for Forest in eighty one, I think. And they were a massive team at the time. Uh, they just won two of the past three. Uh, European Cup so absolutely massive team huge signing for them and um, and then in 1990 he became the first like I said professional male footballer to come out as gay um, but at that point in his career he kind of very much declined never looked that potential he had um, as a youngster at Norwich and Forest but that kind of coming out story made his career so much harder and then um amongst a myriad of other things I'm not going to mention um, because of that he ended up taking his own life uh, in 1998 uh, in his late 30s um, because I'm not going to go into the circumstances surrounding his death um, because I don't want to weigh in my opinion on that and I'll let people uh, go and do their own research and read it but what I would uh, do is recommend go and find that article on the athletics by a guy called Adam Crafton um, and it's a really great piece it's a good like celebration of his life but also it shows how fucking hard it would have been to come out at that time um in the, the 80s and 90s um especially as a footballer especially as a black man um, and it paints um his brother john fashion who was also a great player and brian clough who was the, the forest manager signed at the time paints them two as absolute pricks um uh, but basically you read it and you think well of course footballers weren't coming out at that time but the point is it's been 30 years since then homophobia in football and in, in society appears to have gone slightly better but there's only still been Thomas Hitzelsberger uh, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah and Robbie Rogers uh, as far as anything to, you could call high profile players and even then if we're being in honest the in the men's game yeah I was going to uh, preface that uh, there's plenty of uh, LGBT uh, women players um, professional women players uh, and even those two Hitzelsberger and Robbie Rogers are not I mean let's be honest they're high profile because of coming out I mean Thomas Hitzelsberger was a good player but was he? Thomas Hitzelsberg has 56 caps for Germany then. I do, I do my research. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point is, how can that possibly... I understand, in a sense, why there's been so few to come out. But also, how can like the law of average... Since 1990, there's been like eight male professional 
uh, footballers to come out. Yeah, I, I, and certainly the law of averages, like you say. I, I mean, you, the stats change and the numbers change as the censuses change. But there was certainly, I remember specifically, perhaps it might even have been around the time when I did uh, come out to my mates, that actually it was one in 11 because was, there was a one in every football team. Um, ah yes. Was, was supposed. I, I remember. Just I remember that again. Whether that's true or not, or changed it quite quite possibly. Yeah, I, I think it's that same old thing that you know. Yeah, we've come a long way. That if a, you, you know from the seventies and eighties, when actually you know attitudes were a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still so much more. And I think it's that point that sometimes gets lost on people that actually, you know, and again, it, it slightly envelops over into, I think, perhaps the, the chat about race as well, is that people have this defensive mindset of, oh, yeah, well, 40 years ago, you, you know, actually things have, things have got a lot better since then. And it's, well, well yes, they have. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's still so much further we need to go. Yep. You know, again, I, I say the point for me, it, it, it's, it's perhaps not that much of a, of a bigger deal, but we want people who are there's no reason why people who are overt overtly camp who shouldn't feel exactly the same as as me and who are very much open with their uh, their sexuality and sexual mm-hmm. orientation you know shouldn't be very very open and i think again you know it's something we can certainly learn from the women's game where you know it's very commonplace and it's it's how do we get to that that point you know i think certainly if if we had a big name professional player come out now it, it would be treated very differently I, I wonder if it would be a domino effect and actually you know that the first one would would come out and I, I think you know all of a sudden we'd see perhaps similar to the you know the law of averages actually does take place and, and similar to the women's game where actually mm-hmm. being out and, uh, and and playing professional football are again not things that interact with each other they are normal part of life but it's that we all want to be at point b we all want to be here, but you know we're currently here where, where like you say, yeah, attitudes have changed, and yet we still don't have a scenario where people do feel they are open about their sexuality. Yeah, it's a good point about the women's game, and like you said, a big player. You could say that the, the best women's player in the world at the minute is Megan Rapinoe, who is uh, a lesbian, and you think if if because you know young girls grow up idolising her who want to be professional football players, and then they see oh I can be you know doesn't matter if I'm, I'm lesbian or whatever doesn't affect me I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be a professional football player um, and like you said if there was a big kind of idol let's be honest players don't grow up idolising Thomas Hitzelsberger. Um he's like um, so yeah it, like I said a big player could potentially set that off that was a fucking awesome chat um, well if that wasn't long enough for you uh, the joke segment went down pretty well last week um, and we've had <laughs> we've had more submissions from the fans so uh, this week's jokes have been submitted by Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay he submitted these ones so um, Ben if it's okay with you we're going to take it in terms of reading these jokes uh, you've not yeah. seen them um, no. these brilliant jokes that he's written so I'll send them to you have you got your phone on you? I've got my phone on me yeah lovely cool and uh, like I ended last week just read them straight off the cap don't uh, skip to the end um, yeah yeah cause I don't need to ruin any of his punchlines that he's uh, <laughs> spent time writing so I'll start um, and I'll send you yours is that okay? all good cool lovely oh this one's topical it's about women's football after being linked with the AFC Wimbledon job Chelsea ladies manager Emma Hayes said it was an insult to suggest that taking the job would be a step up for her football Twitter did not take this well with thousands going online to send her abusive and horrible messages ironically this marked the closest many of them had got to speaking to an actual woman in over five years nice very strong yeah that's a good start anti-football Twitter joke we like that right the next one I'm going to send over to you there Hi, my name's Ben. A lot of people ask me about the prejudice I face in my life because of who I am. 
It can be tough sometimes. I've occasionally been on the receiving end of some pretty horrible comments and hateful language, which doesn't make any sense to me, because it's not like we have any say about these things. It's not a choice to be this way. I don't let the bigoted comments affect me, though, because I'm proud of who I am. Why should I be ashamed of being ginger after all? Oh, that's funny because he's ginger. Oh, that was a mean one. We're not, we're not going to accept jokes in this guy next time. Oh, this one's a good one. It's topical. Did you see uh, Ilkay Gundogan scored uh, two goals this week against Tottenham, Ben? Yep, yep. Nice. Um, well, Ilkay Gundogan continued his unbelievable season with two goals against Tottenham this week. He seems to have come from nowhere. The last time a German rose to power this quickly... Uh, I know he was Austrian, but sometimes you have to sacrifice accuracy for a punchline. That's an offensive one. This guy's not going to get in next week. Uh, a 58-year-old, grey-haired, dishevelled-looking old man was finally returned to his family this week after being found wandering around the city of Manchester Stadium on Saturday night, looking lost and confused. Mr Mourinho's family said they were very glad to have him back. <laughs> I like that one. It's funny. <clears throat> oh, they were awful. Did you watch it? Uh, I, I, I unfortunately did, yeah. Fucking hell, it was shit. It was pretty average. They're really poor. Um, this one's not really a joke, it's just more of a comment. Uh, the next two are just comments, really. I, I hasten to call them a joke. Phil Foden looks like the kind of kid who'd sell sweets out of his backpack at school. <laughs> it's true. You can imagine him coming Very up to you like, Very I got true. two packs of Skittles for a quid. <laughs> Absolutely inflated prices. Yeah. Making his making his pocket money. Making money, yeah. And I'll send them off over to you now. Again, more of a comment. This one, really. I'm not sure you'll like it. A lot of people think England's World Cup 2018 run was overrated, but not me. I think struggling to beat Tunisia, beating pa- Panama, losing to Belgium, drawing with Colombia and beating them on penalties, beating Sweden, losing to Croatia and then losing to Belgium is actually really impressive. <laughs> I like how you saved the joke there by correcting uh, Palmer's <laughs> Yeah, Palmer Violets. Tough team to knock out, yeah. Um, uh, clearly not much thought went into that joke because the incorrect spelling of, of Panama <laughs> oh, that was crazy I've never actually experienced that sort of atmosphere again before it's absolutely electric the passion and Bradley what is your first footballing memory my first footballing memory is uh, playing for the first Foxes uh, this was my lowest school football team uh, okay Huge, great name. Probably the best name of a team that I, I've played under. I can't have any better names. I think it was year four. So, goodness, how old would we have been then? Um, uh, nine, eight, eight, nine. Yeah. yeah. Very, um, and that, that's that's probably around about the first time I can remember. That's certainly the first game I played. But we played in one of those classic, like, summer tournaments. It was like six, six, oh, seven yeah. side, and you're all young, and you'd play, like, ten games. <laughs> you're Sunny D, real classic old school, heat mm. summer mini tournaments. And, and I, I think around about that time, I probably was a goalkeeper. We had a great goalkeeper already. So I was like, okay, go and stand in defence. And that is how I became a defender. I think that's how every, every defender becomes a defender, is that the position you want to play is occupied. So you've then got to go and stand in defence. Um, I love that. Sunny D, as a child, is like a performance-enhancing drug. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's literally like taking coke for a child. It juices you up. Does, yeah. Six, seven-year-old does his ACL. Just give him a bit of sunny D. Yeah. Uh, be fine, mate. Just crack on. That's how Diego Maradona started, actually. Um, rest in peace. <laughs> As a child on, on the sunny D. The hard stuff. Were you a good defender when you first started? or? Ooh, I, I couldn't possibly say. Uh, mm. Probably not. Probably very, very average. Wasn't a small kid, I suppose. So, yeah, probably just classic lumped at the back. Brute. Well, was the team any good? How did you get on at the tournament, do you remember? 
Oh, God, I couldn't remember that. No idea. Wiped out from all the sunny day. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's nice. I like that's our first memory we've had of somebody's of first memory playing, which is nice. Excuse me, do you remember your first dime? I. The first dime bar you ever had. Do you remember it? Do you remember the first match you ever went to, Ben? Uh, I, I, I do, actually, and it, it, it wasn't a Man United match. The first game I went to see live was actually Hereford, uh, Edgar Street. My, oh, my okay. dad, uh, my dad's a massive Hereford fan. It's where he's from. He's born in Hereford. Oh. It used to be, you know, a, a semi-big team uh, until financial ruin basically destroyed the club about probably about 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're playing as, I think, uh, Hereford Football Club. I, I think they had to change their name because of all the administration things. Really? And now they're, they're playing in some, like, dodgy southern tier division <laughs> 25 so that's something yeah. awful but um back then they were I, I think it was either league one or league two edgar street uh with with dad and my uncle and i assume my brother must have been there as well uh, I, I i want to say cheltenham but i, I was who they were playing but I, I couldn't tell you for definite yeah. for the life of me but that's the first game i can recall mm. going to and watching live yeah. what do you remember about that game anything about the atmosphere or before the game or what you did or anything what happened or I don't know if you've ever been to Edgar Street atmosphere is perhaps not something that I would uh dis- <laughs> describe with it no um yeah I, I don't think it was a capacity crowd that day I don't mm. think it was packed yeah I, I, there's not a lot I remember about the day per se but I think certainly the uh, it, it just sticks in my mind as that was the first game I think there's perhaps a niceness that you know it was with my dad and and, and with my brother and, and actually that was quite 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 a nice thing mm. about it, you know a big part of your football kind of watching uh, experience growing up with your family. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, so dad's dad's side of the family. Dad's dad was a big Celtic fan. Uh, I know okay. I had on last week, and my brother uh, is a huge Celtic fan. Um, and then, and then, yeah, dad's a, a huge Hereford fan, obviously. And then, obviously, has a bit of a bias towards Celtic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, mum's obviously from. Northeast as well. I don't know why I said obviously. Oh, yes, yes. Like everyone's going to know that. We all know your name, Ben. So she, uh, she's a big Sunderland fan. She went against the family who were all big, big Geordies and big Newcastle ah, fans okay. uh, and decided she wanted to, to be the rebel and support Sunderland. So, How does that work with all four of you following different teams? That's mental. It means that there's certainly some some rivalries, you know, down the years when uh, United and Celtic have occasionally played in Euro- European competitions. That's happened uh, at, at times, and obviously playing Sunderland, uh, you know, before their <laughs> rapid decline. Demise. Um, I think like I say we're, we're all from different parts of of the country. Though, really, like I say, Mum's from the northeast, Dad's from from Hereford, and mm. and me and Jed were both born in Luton. So then mm. there is almost uh, so he supports a team further north than me. So you know, yeah. a team that won the league nine years in a row, and I get called a glory hunter. So, yeah, right. that's interesting. That's the second person we've had on who the first match they went to wasn't their first team they supported. When you, when you went to that match, were you a United fan at that point? Yeah, yeah I, I probably. I, I can't remember actually. Yeah, can't, couldn't say. Can't remember. I, I do want to point out I, I am not your completely typical our north of London Manchester United fan in that I have actually seen Manchester United play live. So I have actually been to United. We'll take so that. I want to. I want to just distinguish myself. There are there are levels. Obviously, there are people born in Manchester who can support Manchester United. There's me, and then there's the people who've never been to a United yeah. game. So I, I want to just say oh, you're I'm tier two. The pile. I'm a tier two. Fair enough. We respect that.
and watch it. Drink it in. Ben, what is the football moment or the, the football thing that means the most to you? I thought about this for, for a little while, actually, when I saw this question. And I thought, because there's, there's quite a few things that first jumped to mind. There's one thing I want to talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Certainly there's a few, because you know, I almost feel like I can't have England getting to a semi-final. Like, I know lots of people for this question would be, you know, if they've, if they've seen England do well at a major tournament or seen their national team you know, you know, do well at a major tournament, they would have that. I don't feel like the moment that means the most to me can be a, a disappointing semi-final, a yeah. disappointing semi. I can't have that as as the moment that means the most to me. I, I thought Terry slip in the Champions League 08 final. Nice. That obviously has a lot of a lot of time for me with that. Um, it couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. To be fair, <laughs> I will I will never ever not laugh at that photo of him as he just looks up from his having mm-hmm. his head in his knees for so long and then looks up. The funniest thing that's happened on a football field has yeah. to be. Um, yeah. But then I thought, again, I think for me, and it comes back quite nicely tying in with the, the whole point of the podcast about being a bit more sort of emotions and, and feelings of the game, is actually when I do something well on a football field and the feeling that that gives you. So as a, a centre-half slash right-back who, I won't lie, probably doesn't have the the greatest skill set, you know, my FIFA skill set, you know, one star <laughs> for, for sure. Um, so, you know, when I, 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 again, it's games where you've just done something good, like you've just absolutely done a man and then whipped in a delicious ball. And I, I've, yeah. it doesn't happen often, but I can remember <laughs> those times. And it's almost that thing that you, you know, like I said, the point of the podcast, I can recall vividly playing in these games mm-hmm. where, you know, you've skipped past a defender and putting a ball. It might not have even... I, I don't know the, the time I'm talking about now. It didn't lead to a goal, mm-hmm. but I can and I, I couldn't tell you who we were playing, what the final score was, anything like. That. But I can just recall being on the right wing, bombing forward from right back, beating a man for pace. I know, uh, and <laughs> and whipping in a ball that that Trent Alexander Arnold would be happy with. It's that feeling of uh, accomplishment in in like a, a hobby or something that you you try hard. Yeah, in. definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, it's like getting a pat on the back almost from yourself. Um, and yeah, it's that feeling of, oh yeah, shit, that was cool. I liked that. And, and again, you know, it's the same with like scoring goals. You know, I, could, I, I don't need both hands to count the amount of goals I've scored in, in you know, 11 aside in an actual competitive games. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it, mem- remembering those and thinking actually the feeling you get from that celebration with your teammates, you know, that it's nice that yeah. that, that yeah. means a lot to you again you couldn't tell who you were playing or what age you were but or, or anything about it but you remember beating the man you remember tucking the ball away in the back of the net and that feeling yeah. Yeah. Um, that certainly sticks with me and people like slag off when people who play amateur football and Sunday league football or, or or football not at a very high level like this all oh, they take it so seriously and like why are you celebrating it's like a Sunday league goal but it's like like I said it's that feeling of just feeling proud in your hobby and like you've accomplished yeah. something like why not like enjoy it and celebrate it and feel proud of that and um, I know it doesn't matter it's not like you're getting a winner in a Champions League final but let them enjoy I mean, it because it's that yeah. feeling and that moment you know there's levels to it we we absolutely stand Sunday league players having a bit of a celebrate we you know yeah. there's 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 a spectrum of Sunday league player scores a worldie celebrates with his team all the way down to Carlos Vinicius pulling out the Mbappe against Marine. You know, mm-hmm. we don't support that. <laughs> we do support this. That there's a level between the two that we that we we have. Yeah, I'd rather see some like 39-year-olds, you know, carpenter doing a knee slide in a Sunday league game than than Vinicius uh, trying to shit house a bunch of, of semi-professional footballers any day. A bunch of carpenters um, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. 
You know what I played against Fulham? My dad saw the game. He saw me play, man. What is your favourite piece of football-related media? So it can be a game, a film, a TV show, anything like that. I've, I've got two for this, just to make the podcast longer. And it's a, it's a weird one. It's, it's, I suppose it's the one that a lot of people will go to. It's our FIFA. But did you ever play FIFA on the Wii? I don't think I have them. No, no. Now, that game was quite remarkable. Um, <laughs> just because playing with the Wii was just... There was that age where everyone had Wii Sports and Mario Kart, and they yeah. bought out FIFA... And when you you scored, if you like shook the what are the, the nunchucks they called it, they call yeah, nunchucks. The nunchuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. The nunchuck. If you shook it like that, it would like emit like a horn, like some <laughs> like fan with like a horn. So that's straight up there. We're having yeah. that. That's in there. And the other one was uh, Three Lines, just the, the, the song Skinner and Badil. Um, that was a great song. Just simply for every time I hear it, I go to that 2018 World Cup, that 2018 mm. summer, hearing that everywhere and what was a glorious summer. It was our second year at uni yeah. uh, and we actually watched the Columbia game and the penalty shootout at yeah. um, Portland Hill, which was uh, on, on, on our campus at Nottingham. They put up a, a massive screen and had loads of us all, all watching it on the hill and just, you know, people hugging everyone, uh, you know, when that, uh, you know, when we won on penalties and I think just that summer, I get taken back to and all those good things about that summer I get taken back to when I hear that song so yeah. that's, it's quite nice and it's a great song it's an absolute bang well there's, song, yeah there's two parts of that song and there's two parts of the answer one of them is that as football songs go that is the you know the bohemian rhapsody of football songs it's a fucking great so song I will unashamedly admit that I have occasionally listened to that song just like just randomly I'll just think well, I'll put three lines on I put it on quite quietly in case anybody thinks I'm some sort of football hooligan <laughs> driving deranged after a few cans of Stella trying to relive uh, my, my moments at like I don't know the 1986 World Cup or something yeah it's a good song to start with and like you said it's that memory that and this is why this question's in there because films and TV shows and songs can have that like I said it just takes you back to a moment and for you it takes you to that moment of the World Cup yeah it's, it's a great song a lot of great memories attached to it and it, it says a lot that it's stood the test of time when did that come up like 90s that song um, I love how it's it's the years get longer and longer of uh, 20 <laughs> years of 30 40 years of uh, I love that eventually we'll get to the point where the number of years that no longer fit into the rhyme scheme and they'll have to yeah just change the lyrics um yeah that was a great song but yeah like that was everywhere at the 2018 world cup and it came oh, out everywhere. ages ago remember that, that used to be a thing of like football world cup songs but they don't really do that anymore um they just the last, that one on repeat yeah the last one i remember was shout out if anybody remembers this dizzy rascal did one with james corden and it was like shout oh my god shout, i do remember let it all out come on england <laughs> ironically that might be the worst thing that James Corden's ever done and, <laughs> and that's hard and, and yeah who would have had that Good yeah enough. that is that is dreadful yeah if anybody remembers that <laughs> I feel sorry that you have that memory in your head if you don't remember it and it's just triggered a memory I feel sorry for just uh, triggering that memory I apologise um, I'm glad you said a song uh, there because I was I was hoping somebody would eventually he wins you look emotional mate I'm with you I'm with you go on let it out he wins that ball so much have you ever cried at a football game? Or if you've not, have you ever got close? I think the closest I got that I can recall was coming back to the family. United versus Celtic. I'm gobsmacked that it wasn't mentioned on the podcast last week by a Celtic fan. Mm -hmm. Shinsuke Nakamura. 
Jinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> the absolute icon scoring that free kick in the 1 0 win uh, for Celtic. And obviously, Jed going mad. Dad mm. with his biases going under the table quite mm. mad as well. That's probably about as close. So, again, I was probably a bit, a little bit younger as well, where the, the results of football game, I, I say it like, you know, I was a bit younger when the results of football games meant everything to me and a bad result didn't ruin my weekend. Like that doesn't happen now. <laughs> I'm the same. You, you know, it, it meant a lot. I meant that a little bit more to, to, to me perhaps back then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, having Jed and dad celebrate kind of in my face from the most sublime free kick, mm-hmm. the Japanese uh, James Wood-Prowse. Basically, <laughs> so. As people call him. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, football results when you're a kid. Like you said, I still get like emotionally uh, involved in it way too much. But as a kid, it does feel like a real personal blow to you, like when your team loses, and when, especially when other people around you are celebrating. It feels like you're actually like been given a smack or something like and being abused it, yeah yeah it hurts um what was it were you like just infuriated or was it more yeah, like actual yeah. upset I, I think probably uh, probably a little bit of both i, I mean yeah I, I don't think i i can't recall too many episodes of crying i think one thing for me when i'm watching a really big game that where there's lots on the line my heart rate will shoot through the roof i'm a real i can feel my heart pounding and there'll almost mm-hmm. be it's almost like cliche like the shakes but i, I can feel my heart pounding at times through a game and uh, I, the last time I felt it was United Leicester last day of the season last year where we uh, needed to get the to Champions League to get the Champions League spot and it was like 65 I think we we got a penalty in like the 70th minute or something classic United it was my heart throughout that game was going through it through my chest and it's something I haven't felt for a little while obviously United's you know lean years that we've been through I actually haven't had too many games where I felt like that and, and so it was almost kind of nice to get that feeling back because again you know would get it but you know big Champions League night or something like that my heart would I'd get fluttering so it was nice yeah it's nice yeah. to have that back I love the fact that, that football and sport can even make you feel like that it's almost like feeling sick yeah yeah like you'd associate those things with like things that actually happen in your real life like relationships or friendships and people might call it silly to feel like that over a, a, a sports game but I don't think so at all I think that's the beauty of it and that's why we watch it um, but there's multiple times I've been watching Liverpool games where I thought I'm actually going to die I I might have a weak heart and I'll, I'll, I'll die here alone and watching <laughs> watching Liverpool play uh, yeah it gets you going it, it can it's like a workout sometimes that might just be a Liverpool thing because of how bottily they've been in recent years. But yeah, yeah, it gets you going. Mom, you're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? I just think they're neat. Who is your favourite player of all time, Ben? So your personal choice, not the person you think is the best. So for me, there's one answer. It's Skulls. It is the man who can kick a ball 60 yards onto a two-pence piece. He's just so good. He is so good passing a football. And again, mm-hmm. you know, like last week you're talking about Perlo and like sex on legs and and whatever. Whereas Skulls kind of, you know, he didn't do so much of the sex on leg side of things. He was a just a guy who just could ping just the most delicious balls, firing absolute bullet volleys. That one against Villa will will mm-hmm. again stick with me. Um just a great player. Just a great yeah. player. Yeah, he's a great player. He's one of those players who yeah, as a, a rival fan you hate because he doesn't play for your team but there's also a bit of jealousy there like any team would want to have him great player I think I think the other thing with him as well is he also it's such a yadar criticism of some of your modern day players of well they don't try hard enough or they don't yeah. put they don't, they're not putting all the effort in yadar would love Paul Scholes <laughs> yeah, um, putting in 110% effort 
handballing the ball on the line against Fulham, you know, dying for the team, um, yeah. would run through brick walls. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to love. See, I'm talking facts here. I don't do if, buts and maybes. I do absolutes. <laughs> Who is, we've heard Paul Scholes, your favourite player of all time. Who is for you the objective best player of all time? So not your favourite, who is the best? Again, there's there's only one answer. And I, I, I think if I'm right in saying it, it's, it's going to be a repetition of the two weeks previous answers. Three P, yeah. Um, it's, it's messy. It, it has to be messy. I mean, mm. I've seen him live at the new Camp. Me, me and a few mates, uh, me and three of my mates from school, I think we were 18 or 19. We said, right, let's get tickets for a Barcelona game in the new Camp and do a long weekend in Barca because it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a right of passage. You know, if you're a football fan, you've got to go and see it. You've got to go to the new Camp. Um, yeah, it's like Mecca. Exactly. I saw him play, I think it was Real Sociedad, it was 3-2. He scored twice, one of which was from outside the box, 25 yards, bottom corner. It's just the sublime artistry of the man that I mm. think it steps, it puts him way above, you know, the class, you know, oh, is it Ronaldo or Messi? Ronaldo dreams that he could do the things that, that Messi does. Mm. And, and loads of people hear you and go, oh, Ronaldo's just the machine. He always turns up. You know, if you were going to build a machine to play football well, you'd build Ronaldo. Yeah. But it's the beauty, it's the artistry of Messi, of running with the ball at defenders. Mm. You know, every time he got the ball in that 90 minutes at the new Camp, there's like an audible gasp, like, oh my God, we could witness something yeah. incredible here. We could, yeah. we could witness, you know, the, a game-changing moment with every touch of the ball. Uh, you know, he sauntered, and I mean sauntered quite literally. There was a, his work rate's awful, um, but he, you know, when he got that ball twenty-five yards out, there was almost like a pre-celebration. There was almost like ninety thousand people knew he was going to score. They just knew, oh, Messi, you've given Messi two yards of space, 20, twenty-five yards out from the goal. We can start celebrating because he's going to put this in the back of the net, which he duly did. Yeah. Like I say, you, you know, you look at some of the goals that he scored down the years, just beating five, six, seven defenders with close close contact, close skill. And some of those goals, you know, the one that sticks in my mind for for this being against Bayern, Bayern Munich, making oh, Jerome yeah. Boateng fall on his ass and then dinking it over Neuer. We're talking Such a about good goal. A world-class defender and arguably at the time the world's best keeper and possibly even still the world's best keeper. Mm-hmm. And he's made them look silly. Yeah. You, you know, the man was, he just... He is just the the most beautiful player to play the game. Absolutely. Yeah. What always intrigues me, I, I knew that was going to be your answer because as uh, male 20-somethings, we've spoken about this a lot, <laughs> this, this heated debate between those two players. Um, and I knew that's your answer. And the thing that always interests me about that is you're a massive United fan. And uh, it always seems to me that United fans, possibly in a biased point of view, or maybe that's just their genuine opinion, always pick uh, Ronaldo. Um, is that something that's kind of hard for you to do to, to, to pick Ronaldo over him or do you just go based off pure skill and, and your love for the game yeah pure pure skill love of the game just watching a man just commit pure poetry with the ball at his feet and he's got the stats to back it up he does yeah. he's just yeah. oh, he's just a magician if I speak I am in, in big trouble and Bradley what is your football hot take your most unpopular opinion and I'm a bit worried about this one because I hope you're not going to say something anti-Liverpool to try and bait me out, but, <laughs> no. but go on. I, I've, got, I've been looking forward to this one because I think it's time for some VAR positivity. Okay, go for it, I, go off. I am here for the VAR positivity. I think it's doing a semi-good job, which is what I expected it to do in its first year. People have this, I think, you know, thought that it was going to come in 
save the day, be, you know, Superman and, and save the world from horrific refereeing decisions. And they forget that it takes a long time for these things, you know, to, to get good cricket. Um, you know, now we look at cricket and actually has quite a good system of using technology to make decisions, it, it, you know, Hawkeye TV, ump- you know, going to the third umpire for close runouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it works very well. But for the first few years of it, it was awful. It really? really struggled to to really get things right. There was problems with it. And I think, you know, I see a lot of that in football. It was never going to come in and get everything right, first off the bat. I think actually a lot of what it is doing when it comes to penalties, I think it actually is getting, starting to get things right in terms of, you know, it was never going to solve those difficult subjective, is it, isn't it? All we've seen him given, there's contact, is it enough to go down? Because yeah. it was never going to come in and solve those because we we're always going to have that subjectivity of the decision-making. Mm-hmm. But actually for those glaringly obvious ones, I think even to this 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 past week, uh, the Maguire one against West Brom where it was given and definitely wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's getting those decisions right. Mm-hmm. Um, the offsides, I, I know a lot of people... Uh, especially as a Liverpool fan, uh, will will lament against. But you know, football fans want something to moan about when their team doesn't win. For a long time, it was the ref, and actually, you know, now it's VAR. But in all of those games before, we had offside rules drawn. You had kids in their bedroom drawing lines on stills from <laughs> uh, from decisions that went against them in the game. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think the technology probably needs to be a bit better on on the drawing of those lines. But you know, it's a learning curve, and I think it will it will get there. So I am here for the VAR positivity. Good. And I think it's going to get more things right than it gets yeah. wrong as we move forward. It's, I like that. I like the positive spin on that. Um, it's a good point about it being a scapegoat um, for for teams losing. And I always found that with football, like there's probably one time out of 10 to 10 occasions would a ref maybe one time out of 20 occasions would a ref what the ref's decisions that they made throughout the game would actually impact the result of the game generally you should it, the ref wasn't the reason you lost even if they no. gave away a penalty that maybe wasn't a penalty you shouldn't have let them into that position where they were, could have given away a penalty in the first place and I hate football fans who say it's the ref's fault because very rarely it, it genuinely is the ref's fault um, but yeah it's a good point about scapegoating it's a good point about uh, cricket I wasn't really aware of, of the struggles it had in cricket at the start oh yeah um, I, I think a lot of sports struggled at start as well yeah. I mean, you, you know it, it takes time for these things to come you know, you're changing something that people have loved for 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 20 years without the need for it and people who love this game love the game idolise the game and you're changing something about it of mm. course you're going to get a bit of resistance to that no I like that positivity great answer it's a joke you've gone about var this var that help the officials out clearly they need help what would be your biggest football gripe the thing that currently annoys you the most about football so for me uh, it is the manager merry-go-round it is the idea that and there's two parts to this it's the idea that managers get sacked for footballers' failures uh, in the first instance. Um, but the, the, the second part is more around the idea that managers that go to a club that is, say, top six, top seven, top eight, they have to go and they have to win something immediately. Otherwise, they're, they're crap and they just need to go. So my, mm-hmm. my big point around this is something I'm going through as a United fan at the minute with lots of slander about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. And I actually look at it and say, well... I think there's, we, we, we are moving considerably in the right direction from where he took over. You know, he took over two and a half years ago. Um, 
sorry, well, yeah, he, he took over from midway through Mourinho's season, uh, where we were, I think, 11th when he took over. Mm-hmm. And we had a bit of a run and then tailed off and we finished seventh. Last year was his first full season and we finished third. And this season, we're second, yeah. you know, midway through the season. You can't look at that and say, that's not progress. Now, you look at Jurgen Klopp uh, as, as someone who's revered, I think, you know, quite rightly, as, as a very good manager. Mm-hmm. Um, it took him, what, five years to win the Premier League? With yeah, yeah, four and a half years. Um, yeah. And you go back as far as Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, five years. The greatest, the greatest United manager. Took over in 86 was nearly sacked in, in 89-90 and he won the FA Cup that year and if he didn't if he didn't win that there was a lot of talk I think there was a round where if they lost it was like the papers were all saying he was going to go the next day Right. didn't win the league until 92-93 so what that's six, seven years till he won the league mm. and I think you know people expect teams who have sacked their manager because the team are playing really really badly and that most times the team is not a title winning team And they think that somehow changing a manager is going to resolve and suddenly make a title-winning team out of of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you look at the the crap that David Moyes was left with when Ferguson Ferguson left. That team was abysmal. How that team won the league the year Ferguson retired (laughs) is, is, I think, football's greatest mystery. (laughs) Um, So I I get very annoyed at people who, who earlier in the year we're saying, oh, Ollie's got to go. Ollie's got to go. Yeah. He's never going to. He's not going to get United back to where they need to be. Yeah. Like, well, actually, we're we're doing a lot of the right things. We're, yeah. we're we're certainly playing better football. You know, there were times through both the Van Gaal era and the Mourinho era where I would actually be so annoyed when we were the live game because mm-hmm. it, I, I would think, Christ's sake, I have to watch us play now because <laughs> we're the we're the game on TV. Back when you didn't have every game on TV, yeah. Uh, you know, we were the live game oh God, I've got to watch us play naff football for 90 minutes again, get annoyed and then not be in a good mood. So mm-hmm. it was almost like I was quite, I, 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 I certainly feel I much enjoy United, you know, watching United play now than I did back then. So that's step, certainly a step in the right direction. The fact that he's, he's progressing us through that. And it comes back to the, the big point that, yeah, you know, if we listen to Oliver Holt and talk sport, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should have been sacked at the start of the season yeah. and we would have brought in someone and and somehow miraculously they would have turned us into a team that would be capable of challenging Man City who are just a joke. So mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I get very annoyed at the manager merry-go-round that is the Premier League, the, the constant shuffling and changing of the packs mm-hmm. uh, and the, the inability to allow a manager to create a legacy, to create a style, to create something... Uh, like Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool, like Sir Alex Ferguson did, like Wenger did, you know, mm-hmm. given time, not just thrown on the scrap because they didn't want a bit of silverware in the first two, three years and actually seeing where they can go. Yeah, it's it's obviously your, your specific point is about managers, but it's very much the same point that Aiden or similar points that Aiden made next week, uh, last week. Um, and it would be my answer to this question as well of um, it's more about uh, the the football discourse and the way we talk about football and everything is reactionary and everything is, there's no context to it. For example, if you ignore the context of Sir Alex Ferguson taking uh, five years to win his first Premier League title, 
then you're sort of like, oh, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's shit or Jurgen Klopp's shit. When in reality, you add that historical context into it and you realise how long it took great managers to win a league. And then you realise, oh, actually, you know, you've got to give them time. Um, so, yeah, well, I get your specific point about managers and I definitely agree with it. Um, but it really comes back to that wider issue of, of the way we talk about football and, and not everything needs to be so reactionary and you don't need to have a, a fucking hot take about something all the time. Just think about things for a moment before you you say these stupid uh, stupid things yeah I, a, I love that that's uh, that's after the hot take question yeah but <laughs> you don't need to have a hot take about everything but what's your football hot take but your your hot take was nice it was positive <laughs> E.T. phone home E.T. phone home I know you're a man who uh, pays attention to the news Ben I don't know if you've seen um, on the news today um unconfirmed reports of um, an alien uh, spacecraft, a UFO, some might call it, hovering just outside the Earth's atmosphere. Um, and basically, they've projected on a big sort of, you know, at school, you'd have a big projector and they'd put like a laminate down and it would project like hymns onto the, that much in my school, <laughs> project hymns onto the boards. Well, they've got one of them, the aliens, and they've projected a big message that says, we're challenging you to a, a game of football. Are Alien 11 versus a footballing 11, world footballing 11, dead or alive. But we want them to be picked specifically. And they asked for you here, Ben, they said, Mm. by Ben Bradley. And they want to be managed by Ben Bradley as well. Um, And they said, all they want to know is your formation and your 11 players. um, And then they'll play you. And then I'll let you know the decision. And if you don't, if they win, they'll kill us all. So pressure's on, mate. Well, I've I've thought long and hard about this. I've I've obviously had the benefit of surviving two previous alien invasions to to think about this. (laughs) And... Yeah, yeah, third one in three weeks. My God, um, yeah. these times. I, I think I, I, I think the, the first two answers from the previous two weeks were were, were wrong. Uh, I think that is the wrong idea to go for the sex on legs approach in this in this answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for starters, all of this wonderful flamboyant trickery from Ronaldinho and Messi and Ronaldo. You know, it's hard enough to nutmeg a player with two legs. We're playing aliens with five, six legs here, so. We've got to, um, we, we've really got to, I don't think that's the answer to, to play lots of really skillful players. I think we've got to level the playing field by mm-hmm. breaking some legs. Nice. Um, so we've gone for a, a real team that are going to really break some alien legs, put in a defensive shift, get a 1 0 win. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a bit of a surprise because the, the, I say that, they, that this alien invasion, we've seen the two previous alien invasions get beaten. They'll have done their research mm-hmm. and they think, oh, Earth's all about a bit of skill and flair. So let's change that up for a start and let's break some alien legs. So sure. we've got in goal, and you will see some of my United bias coming through here. I've gone for the man who I think is going to keep a clean sheet in this game, which is Edwin van der Sar. Yeah, strong, great keeper. Um, I tossed and turned about Roy Carroll, but I thought, no, Edwin van der Sar is more likely to keep the clean sheet. I remember him making a mistake uh, against West Brom. He dropped, a, he dropped a cross at a striker's feet and they tapped it in. And I remember sitting there with my mouth like wide open, like, oh my Christ, I've just seen Edwin van der Sar make a mistake. Yeah. I, 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 you know, such a solid goalkeeper. So he's in. Um, he's like a, um, just like, I think we talked last week about certain players like showing emotion, certain players like not showing emotion, seeming calm and collected. He was like beyond calm and collected. He was like the Terminator. Like, I mean, he would, you know, he'd shout and get aggressive and stuff, but like, he just seemed like a man of steel. He was like, fucking, yeah, it didn't seem to have a mistake in him at all. It's a great shout. We're going to 4 4 2 again. Two banks are solid four. We're not conceding. Um, <laughs> right back, 
we've gone for the architectural type of what is dubbed an Allardyce 11, which this is. <laughs> Phil Barsley is going to oh, start yeah. back. <laughs> a man who is quite not sure. I don't know how anyone, I don't think anyone knows the answer to how Phil Barsley has played at the top for so long, but he has. Yeah. <laughs> Stoke, Sunderland, now at Burnley. You know, he's been a Premier League right back for nigh on a decade. Mm-hmm. And no one knows how. Yeah, he must have but something that, that that we can't see. Yes, I mean, if if another person picks Phil Barsley in their eleven uh, for this <laughs> question, I'll be amazed. Yeah, he'll he'll be pleased with that one. So he's in again. I'm thinking it's something that the aliens won't see coming. Um, two centre backs in uh, in the middle. One of them kind of leads on from something that Aiden talked about last week on the podcast. I've gone for Per Mertesacker as one of the centre-halves, for the simple reason that the bloke deserves so much more respect. Like, the bloke gets bagged on, on Twitter by 12-year-old virgins who play FIFA continually that he's, oh, the slowest man ever, he's so bad. And the guy's won a World Cup. I mean, the guy is a professional footballer. I think he's one that, that deserves a lot more respect. So he gets in the team. And also, yeah, he actually wasn't a bad defender. So, yeah, he's in the team. Uh, partnering him alongside um, attacker is Nemanja Vidic. Nice. Uh, we're, we're thinking defender who's going to keep a clean sheet and simultaneously break some, some alien legs. Yeah. Um, bit of a hard man vibe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, quality, quality centre-half. In my mind, I, I couldn't believe he hadn't been picked in the first two weeks' teams because he's, in my mind, the, the greatest centre-half to play in the Premier League. Yeah, he doesn't get, a, a, I mean, enough respect kind of uh, in like European football in the sense that people always say like oh he's one of the best United centre-halves of all time but you don't really hear him talked about as one of the greatest centre-halves of all time full stop which is bizarre to me um, I think it's because he didn't possess I mean you know he could he could he you know he wasn't a um, like a ball playing defender in the sense that more centre-halves seem to be currently and I think people kind of use that against him but he's fucking great centre-half you know one of the best of all time that, that's a great pairing I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not conceding. And left back, uh, keeping with the hard man vibe, we've gone Stuart Pierce. Nice. Um, nice. We're going prime Stuart Pierce. He is, again, just a hard hitting left back. He's not yeah. going to take any shit from these aliens. And yeah. I think that's the vibe I want from this back. Yeah. I want a back ball that's going to go, yeah, all right, you're nine foot with three legs. <laughs> Fuck it. I've seen it all before, mate. Where, yeah. where you come? Absolute um, bruises. So we've got a strong back ball, uh, and we're going to play. Narrow lines. We're not going to give the the cam from the uh, the aliens much space in the in the pockets. A tight four in front of them. In the middle of that that midfield four, on a vibe of an Allardyce eleven. Who is going to stop everything going through? Who's going to run through the brick wall? The brick walls. We've got Lee Catamol. I, I suspected his involvement when I heard uh, heard uh, Phil Barnsley. I suspected we were going to see a bit of Lee Catamol. Oh, yeah. oh, Do you yeah. think Lee Catamol makes it through the full ninety minutes though without a red card? Well. It depends on the interpretation of some of the rules. Um, <laughs> I think that actually Lee Catamol's job in this 90 minutes is probably to get a red card at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, I see that very much as his role in this team. Oh. Uh, and partnering him is going to be Mark Noble. What a duo. Yeah, they, these are two hard men. And mm-hmm. obviously the beauty with playing Noble is that we've got security there for, as well, covered for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, undoubtedly, this game's going to get some big big attention. There's going to be a big crowd. Obviously, you know, Super Bowl's anything going to go by. Someone's going to stick a 10 on them to run onto the pitch. And therefore, <laughs> we need Mark Noble in the midfield to, to choke slam that person. Yeah. Um, and, and get him off the pitch. So you've almost got to play a two-for-one role there with Mark Noble, doing a bit of good, solid centre midfield work. 
uh, while also providing a vital bit of assistance to <laughs> the stewards. Strong. Who who is joining them in the field then? So, and and I think this is the key to all Allardyce 11s, to all of these teams that struggle at the bottom. The key is having actually not a bad winger who can put in a decent cross, can make the most of set pieces with good dead ball delivery. And that's what we've got on on our right wing. We've got Seb Larson. Oh my God. What f- There's three ex-Midland players here. He's, oh, yeah. a, he's a bit of a streets, uh, streets won't forget player, Seb Larson. He's, he's a good player. He was class. Dead ball situations where we're going to win uh, in, in this game. I think a good free kick, a good corner. Mm-hmm. Whipping the ball in, Seb Larson is, is there for in there. Yeah, we've got real uh, Sunderland... Uh, 07, 08 vibes here. I'm really Strong. Other side, following on from that idea of the, the, the secret to these teams winning was having a bit of quality on the wings, but also not losing that hard man vibe. And again, keeping a Sunderland link, miraculously, Paolo De Canio. I thought you were going to say fucking Adam Johnson then for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Paolo De Canio. Strong. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he does everything. Like I said, he's got that perfect mix of bit of a shit house, well massive shit house would probably get set off as well if he wanted to but also quality flair player I, I think exactly he's covering a lot of bases for me mm-hmm. we don't lose anything in terms of aggression we don't lose anything in terms of skill or quality and again you just need that spark sometimes you're going to enjoy my two up front we've got the obvious answer first up which is of course any shit house 11 has Diego Costa up top also a fucking great striker like yeah. you can't can't deny it proven goal scorer absolutely I think you're going to like the other one that's that's partnering Diego up top we've gone for Big Dunk Big oh, Dunk yeah. Ferguson <laughs> is playing up top because you know what if an alien gets in his face the alien's coming off worse mm, Big alien's Dunk, going down the scariest man in all of professional football to have ever lived he is hard as nails we're going to win 1-0 and we're going to defend and we're going to save the planet mm-hmm. listen that's a strong team if I had to evaluate the match I mean every single player in, the, in that starting 11 is getting a yellow card even Van der Sar probably gets one for time wasting like you said you're not scoring many goals but the thing is they're not scoring any they're just not and I I don't want to play into demands but I'm going to give you a 1-0 win after extra time because it's going to take you a while but yeah Seb Larson whipping one in and then I don't know yeah Duncan Ferguson, back post, heading one in. I can see it. De Canio probably gets booked for doing a uh, fascist celebration, uh, let's say. Um, yeah, and you win 1-0. And the aliens are, are just trodge off, injured on stretchers, flying back to their home planet, needing to use their alien technology to recover from broken legs. Third week in a row, I don't know how we keep doing it, but we live to fight another day. That is a great eleven. Well, Ben, I think we have to call it there after two solid hours of recording. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been a great guest. Have you enjoyed it? Guys, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely. Um, I'll somehow edit this down to make a great episode, but um, it was really, really, really awesome talking. Um, we spoke about a lot of things I don't think we've talked, we've spoken about before, um, which was interesting. You had some great answers, well thought out. You saved the world. What more can you want? Thank you again for coming on. I've been Owen Dowling. You've been Ben Bradley. This has been episode three of the Football Night podcast. Goodbye. Between the dodgy audio and the ridiculous length, I think it's safe to say that whole podcast was sort of like Kanye West's runaway. 
Um, but I also think Runaway is my favourite Kanye West song, and that might just be my favourite episode. If you've made it all the way, I hope you got that reference. I also hope you really enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to Ben. This has been episode three of the Football Night podcast. I've been Owen Darling. Thank you for listening, and good night.